All righty, good evening. Let's get started. We're going to pick up where we left off, Esther chapter 2, and at verse 1. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. My Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your word tonight, your word that comforts us, instructs us, and teaches us how to walk and have a blessed life with you. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your still, small voice and and put these truths into practice so that we can be blessed. We love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're inside a palace, and so we have some palace doors for you, and a lot is going on behind those Persian palace uh, doors. It is the 4th century B.C. We are in Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and uh, people, the people inside there, well, they're acting kind of foolishly. And there is a person there that we can't see who is acting wisely and is sovereignly directing the paths and the lives of people according to his goodwill. And of course, that is the Lord. And the Lord is not mentioned in the book of Esther. He's working behind the scenes where people uh, least expect him. There he is doing his good work. And so here we've got uh, inside that palace, we've got the, I've been calling him King Baby, you know, he's kind of a narcissist, you know, Uh, his name is Xerxes, Uh, some of your translations have Ahasuerus, which is his Hebrew name, and so his Greek name, his Persian name would be Xerxes, all right, and so uh, just to catch you up, if you missed chapter one, uh, he was hosting a six-month open house, kind of a show-and-tell drinking feast party, where he was trying to uh, get uh, some uh, support for a war that he wanted to wage to avenge his father uh, against Greece. And so uh, he invited everybody to impress them with the show and tell, as I said, uh, uh, to to bring out all this uh, gold and silver, his chariots, his war horses, and all of that. And that went on for six months, and it culminated in a week-long drinking party in the lap of luxury with their gold furniture and their wonderful food and their open tap and and, uh, it was just, well, it wasn't just the gold and silver and his wealth. He didn't stop with his wealth. He sent his servants to go get his wife because she was very beautiful and very influential. In fact, she was the most beautiful woman in the then known world because he was ruler of the then known world. And uh, he wanted her to do a little dance in front of his uh, inebriated buddies. And uh, Queen Vashti had a little bit of class, and so she said, no, I'm not coming out. And uh, she declined, uh, for which she was divorced, right? And uh, she was perhaps relieved uh, at that divorce, probably. (laughs) Now, the, the king's legal counsel, you'll recall you know, thought it was best. They didn't want word to get out about Queen Vashti's bold refusal to her husband. Uh, They thought that would spark some sort of women's rights uprising in the kingdom, right? You know, it would be just a horrible thing if men had to, you know, eventually help around the house or, or help out and cook a meal once in a while. That would be terrible. Amen. 
Not really, right. So, uh, so the chapter one concludes uh, really with Queen Vashti upstairs in that palace packing her suitcase. Okay, verse one of chapter two. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, as attendant or officer, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and so he followed it. All right, so if you're taking notes, we'll park there. Uh, First of all, the contest. All the points tonight are going to begin with a C, the contest. So uh, Miss Persia Beauty Pageant is going to now be underway. Now, these are the same knuckleheads, these advisors, who gave the king his last bit of advice. Uh, and, and did you catch this last time? Uh, they, they were saying, we don't want the whole empire to hear about what Queen Vashti has done. So let us send out a decree to the whole empire and tell them exactly what she had done and the consequences, right? So, you know, they wouldn't have even found out. So these guys went out and blasted it all over the kingdom. They're not, you know, the sharpest tools in the shed. And so here, you know, we, we see it again happening. Now, why do we care what's going on in this palace and about a Persian beauty contest and about this narcissist, this narcissist king? Uh, well, we care because God's people, the Jews, have been dispersed and they live under this king's rule. Now, you recall that the people of Israel were exiled because of their sins. The Lord let them be ousted out of the promised land and they were dispersed. There's a theological term for that, diaspora. They were dispersed. That's where a Greek word comes from for dispersed. Uh, throughout the Middle East and really all over the world, actually. But they really predominantly were right around that palace, Persia and Iran and Iraq. And that's where the Jews were. Now, this man's grandfather, King Cyrus, another Persian, uh, had released and made a decree that the Jews had started going back 50 years prior to this text. So 50 years had been in the making of the Jews going back to Israel to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but many, many hundreds of thousands of them just opted to stay. And so they were there. So why does this matter? Well, because uh, here's the, why don't you show the map there? I'm looking for my laser pointer again. And you, you go through this with me every week, right? There, get rid of that. I don't need it. I'm glad you love and accept me for who I really am. <laughs> Just an average Joe who can't figure out how to use one of these. There it is. All right. He ruled the then known world, 
right? And the Jews are all scattered all over here. So he's in control. Yes, true, they were on their way back. But with one stroke of a pen, this guy could wipe out the entire nation. And as we see tonight, the stroke of the pen hit the paper. And the Jews were slated. Every last Jew in the world was slated to be destroyed. Now, that's why we need to pay attention to this story. Because if that went through, then the line of David would have been (laughs) broken. And we wouldn't have a person named Mary, nor Joseph. But Mary was really important, right? And without Mary and the line of David, we would not have a savior, And of course, this is the diabolical plot behind. It's not a human being who wants to kill all the Jews. It's the devil who wants to kill the Jews because he was prophesied in the Garden of Eden that his conqueror would come through this specific line and that a Messiah would be born to these people. And so he was all through the Old Testament trying to annihilate them. He's still not satisfied. He still wants to annihilate them because the future promises are dependent on Israel as well. So if he does, Jesus is supposed to come back to a nation that, that accepts him, reveres him, and is converted. So, but if there are no Jews on the planet, who's he coming back to? Scripture would be broken. Do you see that? So there's still anti-Semitism is generated still from satanic sources uh, to break the scriptures and the prophecies concerning the Jewish people. All that to say, we care about what's going on in the palace, right? Amen? Good. Why don't we put the the verses back up there? So uh, with that said, uh, the king is having uh, some misgivings. Uh, now, the word remembered there, that he, 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 the anger has subsided. And remembered there is a word that means about to be favorable toward. So he's missing her, and he regrets what happened. He remembered the incident, you know, but it's, it's too late to do anything about it. He's bound by his own uh, words. And so uh, he wants to, he, he misses her, he longs for her. Um, Having a thousand mistresses isn't like having a soulmate, your, your wife. He wants a wife. He misses Vashti, and um, he regrets. But it's kind of like the guy who sobers up after a drunken episode, and he wants to fix all the stupid and dumb things that he did and all the damage, but he, uh, he regrets it, but he can't fix it. There are some things you do uh, when you're being stupid, Uh, that are not fixable. God can redeem a lot of things, but some things cannot be fixed. Uh, And so this was one of them. And so uh, the wise men are are no help at trying to find a loophole to get Queen Vashti back, right? Why? Because once she came back, uh, they would all be dead men because she would be installed as queen and then she'd go after them because they're the source of why... He got divorced. It was their idea. So um, they come up with this idea. Let's have a beauty pageant contest. Let's get a new wife. And so uh, the quest for Miss Persia begins. All 127 provinces, you saw the map, from all the way from the border of India, all the way to Turkey, down uh, through, through northern Africa, 
That is where they're searching. And they're going to search and they're going to find 1,400 beautiful girls and they're going to bring uh, those girls in. Uh, they're going to travel to the capital uh, there. It's called Susa. Uh, and they're going to enter the palace and have uh, these um, extensive beauty treatments. Verse 5 through 11. Now, there was, and the citadel is, means fortress, so it's a fortified city. It's the capital. It, it's called Shush in Iran today. It's there. Now, in this city, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the fortress of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food, he assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai, her cousin, who's her guardian like her dad, had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. All right, so we saw the contest established, and now we're going to see the contestant revealed. All right, so, but before we meet the contestant, we're going to meet the cousin, her older cousin, who has become a surrogate father to her. We don't know uh, how her parents died, but at, when that happened, perhaps during the exile, uh, they probably died. A lot of warring going on there. Uh, this guy's important, Mordecai. He's mentioned 58 times in the book, and he's a major player and hero. Now, Mordecai uh, is his pagan name, and just like Daniel had a pagan Persian name, uh, he had a Jewish name, Daniel, but he also was called in Persia a Belteshazzar, right? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are their Persian names, not their Jewish names. And in this case, Mordecai, we only have his Persian pagan name. And so uh, he gets, uh, we get started here with a little genealogy. It's pretty interesting. I'm going to go into it for you because I found it pretty fascinating. Um, he's related to King Saul. So, so King Saul was Israel's first king. And, and more than that, he's related to that guy named Shimei. You remember Shimei in 2 Samuel chapter 16. He's the one who's related also to Saul. And in real devotion to Saul, when David had that downtime, when he was temporarily exiled out, Absalom was trying to kill him, his own son. And so David was like throwing dirt in the air and, and, and mourning and going out of the city of Jerusalem. Shimei 
is the one who is pelting King David with the rocks and the stones and saying, God's curse is on you. And Abishai, David's nephew, bodyguard, said, give me three seconds, I'll chop his head off. And David said, no, the Lord's working, humility in my heart, this is good for me actually, just endure it. Had he not said that, we'd have no Mordecai. We'd have no hero. He descends from Shimei, you see. So in that sense, David, you know, David's being merciful, but God is working there to withhold Abishai's sword, you know. Very, very interesting things going on and how God is multitasking it all. It's very wonderful. Um, verse 7 introduce, uh, introduces the heroine now, um, beautiful, unmarried. That word means unmarried and single. Um, and uh, she is the cousin. And her name in Hebrew is Hadassah. And that means myrtle. Now, myrtle is a tree uh, that is used as a prophetic symbol in Isaiah, and I believe it's chapter 41 and chapter 55, talks about the myrtle replacing the thorns and the briars of the desert, you know, and so this beautiful, fragrant, flowering tree, you know, is going to bring the life. God is going to do this new thing. And so that said, also, uh, myrtle fl- has a flower that looks like a star. And Esther is her Persian name. And Esther means star. Now, God gave her a Hebrew name, you know, that, that has a star enveloped in it. You know, there he goes again. You know, he just is, is a genius. And he's working his will in beautiful, poetic, beautiful, majestic ways. And so um, uh, now she and her cousin there uh, are in the story, and we know who they are. The story moves forward, starting in verse 8. Uh, you see there, so the 1,400, historians say 1,400 girls were brought in from the whole world. Uh, and they, uh, it says in verse 8 that she was taken to the palace. Uh, that word means against your will. Okay, so she's not happy. Uh, this may be an honor in the world's eyes, but there's going to be no happiness involved. You're taken away from your family. Uh, you're 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 going to be lonely and used by the king, and if he doesn't like you, it's just a life of misery for these girls who had dreams of growing up and getting married and having a life, and and it just in in one touch, in one point, there were girls hiding out. There were parents lying. This was not like a beauty pageant that we think of, right? And so uh, there were a lot of girls in in the in the kingdom that wish they were born not beautiful. This is not going to be uh, necessarily a happy thing. And so. Um, She's offering some resistance, but you know how much can you, resistance are you going to offer to a king who rules the world? You know, so life is pretty much over. She's in a pagan palace with this king. Uh, there's unkosher food, right, and ungodly practices. Um, she's a devoted Jew. She's kept herself for her husband, right? And there's going to be no marriage vows there. 
You know, this is a nightmare for, a nightmare for Esther. And, uh, but you'll see right away in verse 9, check that verse 9 out, the word hesed there, favor, it means mercy. And it really, any Jewish reader of the story goes, oh, God is at work. Because that word belongs to God. It's his loving kindness. It's his mercy. So here, here she's been swept up by powers that are stronger than she. Uh, she has no control over her situation. And, and here she is just wondering, a sea of faces, afraid, alone, scared, feeling like her life is over. And, and suddenly things are happening, like supernatural uh, kindness and favor. And hey, you, who are you? It's like, why is he paying attention to me, you know? And uh, all of this is going on. The guy in charge, hey guy, is smitten with her. And, and, you know, for no apparent reason, there's 1,400 of them. Why, why is he suddenly, hey, wow, look at you, out of 1,400 girls? It was because God wants her to be the next queen. So, you know, it's kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know? <laughs> you know, I always use this <laughs> where, where they're in trouble and he's working his magic, you know, and he, and, and he tells the stormtroopers, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And he waves his hand, and they say, these aren't the droids we're looking for. Well, you know, I could see the Holy Spirit just saying, this is the girl you're looking for. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, Esther, well, what's your name again? The star, yeah, star. And so this, this officer, God is using um, his kindness to encourage, I would think, Esther, you know, saying, don't worry, Esther, I got this. I'm here with you uh, in a place where you have no power, in a sea of faces where you're afraid and lonely and scared and you think your life is over. Actually, I've got a plan that I can make it work in less than desirable circumstances. I don't know if you just find yourself tonight in the ideal circumstances. Things can never be any better. Everything is perfect. That's not how it is usually. God is at work when all the pieces don't line up and you're missing that last piece and how does this work and I have no control over that and well, how did I get sucked into this? And, and, and there God is working for your good all things together. That's another lesson of Esther's that is working. You know, the Jews came up to Jesus and said, you're working on the Sabbath. Yeah, you're healing people. And Jesus lectured him about how ridiculous that statement was. But then he also said, he said, I'm working. My father is always working, and so am I. We're always working. We don't take a vacation. You know, uh, we work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, your Sabbath, Saturday, and Sunday. And then we start again Monday. We just always working. And we just think, you know, there are special moments in our lives along the way where God just suddenly decides, you know, I'm going to start working in your life. Just because you're be, you become aware of something like, oh, wow, God really showed up. He's been working as dramatically and intensely every last second of the last two hours as he ever has been in your entire life. Amen? I got excited there. I don't see it on the look on your faces, but that's okay. Listen, God, God is at work. 
There is um, a quote here from Charles uh, Spurgeon. There is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of sovereignty and providence. That God is working. He worked today. He was directing footsteps and people in and out of your lives for good, you see. We only recognize that sometimes. You know, open doors when we need one open, a friendly face in a crowded place, a chance meeting. Oh, wow, just the right person at the right time. You know, and how you got that job, you'll never believe it. It's just I walked in at the right time at the right place. That's God's providential care. He's saying, as he said to Esther, I'm with you. You feel like you don't have a friend in the world. And I'm with you. I'm controlling these. I'm not the author of any of the sin. I'm not the cause of any of the pain. But I will take those knitting needles and I will knit something beautiful out of this. Watch it. Watch me. You know, sit back and relax. I will take care of you. You know, so as she's rising to the top mysteriously, uh, that's a sign, really, to her. Esther, all is not lost. And I'm working in a bad situation to bring something good for you. So she's caught the, the eye of, and heart of this guy in charge, Haggai. And uh, she scored seven assistants, you know, not like anybody else. So she has seven maids, you know. And they get the greatest apartment in the palace overlooking the gardens, you know, what have you. And, and she's feeling like maybe God is with me in all of this. I don't know how, but possibly... Uh, and so now begins a year-long program of, of Persian spa treatments, right? And special diets and all kinds of girly things that I don't even know the names of, you know? I mean, all kinds of pedicures and manicures and cures for anything else. Uh, just honestly. Now, she's eating a special diet and you know it's not kosher. Well, what is she thinking? She's thinking, if I get out of this alive, this will be a miracle, let alone if I eat bacon. So if I eat bacon, I eat bacon. I mean, this is my life. I, I, I'm stuck in a palace. I, I, I'm stuck with a king with no marital vows. What's going to happen to me? And they put a, a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich in front of her. And she's like, well, come on. You know, so we don't see her making a big thing about it. Because you know what? Because what was more important? Let me get through this. Let me get through this. Oh, by the way, there the author tells us that no one knows that they're Jewish and nobody knows their relationship. Verses 10 and 11, apparently there's a don't ask, don't tell policy around. <laughs> nobody, nobody has apparently asked their nationality or her nationality, so she hasn't volunteered the information, and that's not lying. You know what? It's pretty wise. Not all truth, some, some, somebody, uh, Matthew Henry said this, not all truth is to be spoken at all times. Only, it's the fool in the Proverbs that's gushing out every last thought that comes into his mind. You know, it's okay to use discretion and not just uh, spill all the beans all the time. So nobody knows that they're Jews. Mordecai's smart. Mordecai knows that there's any Semitism around. Just keep quiet. If nobody asks you, are you a Jew? Uh, you don't have to answer them. You don't have to volunteer that information. 
you know, and so uh, she doesn't. So uh, I think Mordecai was saying, you know, you're kind of in a pickle, Esther. You know, letting people know that you're a Jew could make things even worse. Verses 12 through 18. So before a girl's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Gold, pearls, anything. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shahaj Gaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of Uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, no, no fancy jewelry, nothing. The king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested, right? So she went with that. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, just our December in January. It's lunar, so sometimes it's two months of ours. Um, in the seventh year of his reign. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other girls. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials, he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces of the world and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Awesome. He likes her. Now, let's talk about this. The competition, we've seen the competitor and the crown. So, drum roll, please. You know, and the winner is, and we've got Queen Esther, did she feel like a winner? I don't know. I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet. But God wanted, can I have the map back, Noel? Guess who's queen of all of that? Get, he's obsessed with this girl. He will say to her, ask me whatever you want, I'll give it to you. That's what up to half of my kingdom is an idiom. It just means ask whatever you want. It's yours. She is the queen of the earth. God needed somebody like her because the devil comes in and he's going to try to annihilate the Jews. So he's going to need somebody like a Jew, Jewish person in a high place. And so whether she's happy or not really isn't the situation from God's point of view. He, he, she will be happy when the story's over. <laughs> but God's saying, Esther, do you mind? I'm going to take you through something, but it's for the saving of many lives, like Joseph and like so many of the Bible heroes. And so you can put the text back up there. 
four years from when Vashti vanished, there's a new queen in town, and her name is Esther. Well, there's some dignity restored, right? Because there's a marriage feast. There are wedding vows. She's a married woman, and she is married to the king of the then-known world. And uh, he's fallen for her. Uh, He throws another party. This guy knows how to throw parties. This is the fourth party. This guy loves banquets and feasting, and he does love an open tap, unfortunately. And so the gifts are flying, and um, he names the day Esther Day, and there's a holiday. I mean, the Lord was like on this king, just like, this is the girl that you've been waiting for. And he's like, this is the girl. There's going to be a national holiday. They took like a week off. Uh, He rebated taxes, the historians say. He wanted everyone to love her, and so she's going to have power. She's going to have power. That's exactly what God wants for Esther. He wants her to have influence. So debts are canceled, and everybody's feeling good. And as I said, it's it's the fourth party in the book of Esther. So let's continue, 19 through 23. Now, when the girls were assembled the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do so, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, even though she's queen of the earth, as she had done when she was being brought up. Uh, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who had guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate Esther's new husband, But Mordecai, cousin, finds out about the plot and tells Queen Esther, who in turn reports it to her husband, the king, giving credit to her cousin Mordecai. (laughs) And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials, Big Dana and Teresh, (laughs) I just find those names funny, Uh, officials were hanged on a gallows. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. Yes, this is important. This is important because four years from now, uh, there's going to be another plot and uh, that's going to be very, very important. So now we have, uh, the story is going to continue after the crown is the conspiracy. All right, so As our story uh, moves forward, the contestants who lost are gathered together. You see that in the first opening verse there? They're gathered together a second time for parting gifts and goodbye. You know, we have a winner, and so they are gathered together. And why we're we're getting some context for what's going to happen here uh, with this conspiracy. So it happened at the time when there's kind of a lot going on, the girls are all coming um, together to go home because there's a queen, right? And uh, cousin Mordecai, the dad, um, has uh, been promoted. So he has an important position at the king's gate. Uh, 
Now, when it says he's at the king's gate all the time, he's an official. He got a job. And commentators say a little sanctified nepotism happened here that Esther got her, got him a position. So when you're sitting at the king's gate, you're either doing accounting or managing the city. You're doing something important. And so he's employed now. And so um, uh, she's able to arrange uh, a position for Mordecai without, and then your verses tell you, without revealing their relationship or that they're Jews. That's why these verses are here. Uh, So uh, he has a a new job position there. He's going to be closer to her. I mean, if she's going to be taken away from her family and her father, you know, uh, the least they can be working in the same palace. And so she makes sure that she remembers uh, him. And, um, and, uh, And lucky for the king that she did. Lucky for her husband that she hired him, Mordecai, her cousin, because had she not maneuvered him into a position, uh, the king would be dead, her husband, right? Because these two guys, Big Big Thana and Teresh, uh, got their feelers hurt about something. They got angry, you know, and and so uh, I don't know. Nobody knows how Mordecai overhears it or he's informed of the plot to assassinate the king. Uh, you know, did he get a text by accident? I don't know. You know how that happens? You just get the text and it's like, well, okay, maybe not. And apparently, all right, so these guys um, uh, got their noses out of joint for something. What they get mad at him for? Well, some commentators say they really like Vashti and they're not real happy with the whole uh, Esther thing and some of them might be finding out that she's Jewish and she got Mordecai a job and there you know that kind of thing is happening and so uh, he finds out and so Mordecai gets word to Esther who informs her new husband and then they do a little investigating and guess what it's all true and so they <laughs> hang them both you know they're gone out of the picture Okay, chapter three, let's just do a little bit, all right? One through six. So after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. What? (laughs) How about Mordecai, dude? He just saved your life. Oh, no, it doesn't always work that way. So this Haman guy, and this is his father's name, the Agagite, that's important, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, What's up with this? You know, what's up with you? Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it and see, uh, to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated by this guy testing him. For he, was, he, he had told them he was a Jew. Oh, it's out. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, 
he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Let's talk about that. The criminal, the last C here for the night. Now, um, the vile adversary is his name, Haman. And there's not one good thing said of him in the entire narrative. He's just a hateful, uh, insecure, jealous uh, man. Now, while God is working, putting his people in place, so is the devil, right? But here's the deal with God. God's already got Mordecai here in the gate, and he's got Esther on the throne, right? And now the devil's always like 10,000 steps behind. God is always 10,000 steps ahead. God has his people already. Say, the Lord is like, come on, come on, fight. Go ahead and do your thing. You just try to wipe out my people. I already got it. They're already there. They're going to put out the fire. You know, he's always ahead. You've got to remember that whenever you feel like you're being attacked or things are going bad or the devil's getting the upper hand, God's already got people in place. He's already figured it out because he's destined us to overcome. And so uh, God is just beating the devil at his own game there. And so the villain is introduced here in chapter 3 and verse 1, and it's very interesting. He's called an Agagite. Now, this is interesting. I want to explain this to you. The Amalekites were the ruthless sworn enemies of Israel dating back a 1,000 years from this period, during the Exodus. They're the ones who came up from behind and wanted to slaughter the Jews. And the Lord said, these people are not redeemable. I've worked with them. I'm, I'm the Lord speaking, I'm going to wipe the Amalekites off the face of the planet. And then a few hundred years later, he tells King Saul, when, they, when the Jews are, are, are there, he wants them to destroy the Amalekites. And King Saul says he will, but he leaves one king alive. And that king's name is Agag. And this man, Haman, descends from that man, the enemy of Israel, generations later. And, and uh, eventually, Samuel is called to take Agag out, and he executes him the prophet Samuel, but there are sons around. And so those sons have sons who have sons who have Haman, direct line. And so some things just don't change, you know? The devil has his people and they want to do evil and there's just one line there. And so that's just amazing. Check it out now. Did you put the two things together? Who's Mordecai coming down from? Saul. Mordecai is Saul's ancestor, blood, right? And so now Saul is having a, a, a rematch with the Amalekites. And is he going to do the job this time? I mean, they're both, uh, you've, got, you've got Haman coming from Agag, and you've got Mordecai who is coming from Saul. Straight down, there they are, the progenitors being... Um, a few centuries before, and yet the same fight is going on. But this time, this Saul, Mordecai, is 
going to do the job. It's going to do the job. So strange things happen in life. You know, we have Mordecai, who's a hero, who she says it was Mordecai who saved your life, hubby, right? And, and they wrote it down. It says they wrote it down. But nothing happens to him. But the enemy, the insecure, jealous, hate-filled person, he gets promoted to prime minister while this dude's still sitting, you know, crunching the numbers with no, no recognition at all. That happens all the time because God is the author of what is called the great reversals. The first becoming last and the last. He tells that story over and over in the Bible. So never think when you're the tail, just, just know, he says, you're going to be the head. It's just a matter of time. And that's, that's uh, what we see playing out here. So, so uh, okay, here's what's prompted a man to want to kill an entire race of people. Mr. Prime Minister Heman goes in and out the city gate through the front offices. And when he goes through the front offices, everybody kind of has been told by the king, I want you to show some respect and, and bow. And so this, this Mordecai knows a little something about who this guy is. He's an Agagite, and he's a Jew. And he knows what this guy is like. And maybe some things have already come out of his mouth about Israel and the Jews. And so he comes prancing through, Mr. Haman, Mr. I got a promotion, look at me. And everybody's doing the one knee down. And, and except Mordecai. Mordecai's like, whatever, you know. See you when you get back, whatever, you know. And so the guards are curious and they ask him in your text. You can read it right there. Uh, Mordecai, what's your problem? Why are you resisting protocol? Why aren't you kneeling? I, I, you know, and Mordecai has to come out now. And he says, I'm a Jew. He blames it on being a Jew. The commentators say it's not because of Jews can't bow down and respect when somebody's walking by. At, in the heart of it is that he knows he's an Agagite. He knows he's, he hates Jews. He knows what is in his mind. He just is not going to bow, you know. And so the guards hightail it to Haman, you know, Mr. Proud, Prime Minister, in verse 4. Hey, boss, you going to put up with this Jew who's not going to bow to you? Uh, Haman struts through the gate then on purpose. Let me check this out myself, fellas. So he's going to strut through the front offices, and he's going to walk straight by Mordecai. And he does. And Mordecai mouths to him in my mind, And I can see Haman mouthing back to him, that can be arranged. <laughs> I'd rather be dead. That could be arranged. And so, <laughs> you know, Morty, Morty, I call him Morty. We're friends. <laughs> Morty stands up straighter, you know. And uh, boy. So your text, it says, he scorns the idea of just killing this guy. He laughs. He, he jokes like, you think I'm going to stop with just one guy, one Jew? I'm going to kill them all. And he sets in motion a conspiracy to kill every last Jew. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers behind the human being. 
who want to kill every last Jew so there could be no savior for me or you. So uh, one thing he doesn't know, too, really, he doesn't know what nationality Queen Esther of the earth is. He does not understand that she, the king's wife, who he loves to death, is a Jew. (laughs) He doesn't know that piece of information. Nor does he know the God of the Jews, who's intricately weaving together a story, looking out for the apple of his eye, the Jewish people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. First of all, we just thank you that you are always at work for our good, whether we can see that or whether we can't. And we thank you, Lord, that you can take a terrible situation where we feel trapped and uh, at the mercy of others who are stronger than we are and who have all the control, that actually you have the control. And we can submit, Lord, to you and trust you that you're working for our good and that you will eventually honor our prayers. And as we stand in obedience on the word of God and do your will, all will be well and we will be blessed. And as we humble ourselves, you will exalt us. Lord, you, you, that is a promise. So we thank you tonight for your word, Lord, and the lessons that we're learning along the way in this marvelous story. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.